0: Hey friends, thanks so much for joining me today. My name is Andrea Crisp and I am the host of the Courage Cast. I know it's been a while, but we are officially launching season 4 today and I feel so grateful to be on this journey with you and I really appreciate your love and support over the past 2 years. You know, if you've been listening for a long time, thank you for just staying with us as we've been on this amazing journey together. But if it's your first time, welcome. We're glad that you're here today. And I'd love to connect with you on Instagram to find out who you are and what's going on in your life. So go ahead and connect with me at, at the dot or on my personal account at at Miss Crispy. Now, today, we have the most amazing guest. I'm seriously giddy, I'm so excited. Now, if you've been following me for some time, you know that I have two loves, two passions, and they are the Enneagram, obviously, because I talk about it all the time, and also, I love figure skating. So there's nothing wrong with a little obsession, right? I mean, we can all have one. So um, those are my two absolutely love. I also love some coffee, but you know, I digress. Okay. So seriously though, a few years ago before the 2014 Olympics in Sochi, Russia, I started to watch figure skating again. It had been a long time. I probably watched way back in the eighties when Elizabeth Manley was skating, but there was a few years in between there that I wasn't really watching figure skating. But all of a sudden, I was completely in. Now, my family is a skating family. We love hockey. We love figure skating. So I guess this is not a huge surprise to me. So over the past few years, I have become religious about attending figure skating shows. My mom and I get ice surface tickets all the time. We absolutely love watching figure skating. So today, if you're a figure skating fan, you are in for a huge treat, because today I am chatting with two-time world champion figure skater, Olympic gold, silver, and bronze medalist, seven-time Canadian national champion pair skater, Megan Duhamel. Seriously, friends, I'm so excited. Not only is she passionate and driven about her sport, but she's smart, articulate, and she will empower you like none other. I'm so excited for you to hear what she has to say. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely.
1: Each week we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their
0: purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. At the age of three, my guest today, Megan Duhamel, already had big dreams for her life. Now she probably didn't realize that she would be winning multiple Olympic medals at that age, but by the time she was 14, she was serious enough to ask her parents to allow her to move from her hometown of Lively to Barrie, Ontario. It wasn't the easiest of transitions, but she was determined to continue training to become an Olympian. She started out as a single skater and then switched to pairs, having two different partners. In 2010, Megan thought her career might be coming to an end when she was unable to qualify for the Olympics. But shortly after, she was introduced to Eric Radford, who at the time seemed like an unlikely match. The two went on to become Canadian legends. In 2018, Megan and Eric captured their seventh consecutive Canadian title, becoming one of the most decorated Canadian pair teams in history. A month later, they went on to win gold medal at the team event in Pyeongchang, South Korea, and a bronze medal in the pairs event. They are known to push the limits of their sport by challenging themselves to be better. Megan lives in Quebec with her husband, Bruno Marcotte, who coincidentally is also her coach. Megan studied holistic naturopathic health and became a certified holistic nutritionist in 2012. She became a vegan in 2008 and loves to share her passion for nutrition and health. She also has two beautiful rescue dogs, Theo and Moutet. Now, as if that's not enough, she's also a Northern Ontario girl. So I need to make a huge shout out to the Sudbury area. She is from Lively. My family is from Capriol, which is on the other side of Sudbury, but we are both Northern girls. Now I've been fortunate to meet Megan several times over the past few years. And not only is she talented and driven, but she is so, so lovely. I'm so excited to introduce you to Megan DeHamel. Megan, I am so thankful that you have joined me today on the Courage cast. It's honestly an honor to have you on the show. I'm a huge fan of yours and also of Eric's. And I'm excited to hear about your journey, your Olympic journey, uh, what it's like to be an elite athlete. And you're also an advocate, which I'm so excited to hear about what you're doing. Post Olympics as well because I think that um, having something to really pour your energy and passions into is so important. So I'm really excited. So thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me, and and thinking of inviting me to the show.
0: It is really my honor. I'm a huge skating fan. My mom is uh, freaking out uh, <laughs> about the fact that I'm having you on. So, and um, my parents are actually from Sudbury area. So I know that. We have that in common. I actually only lived there for very few years, but um, we're from Kipriol and I know that you're from Lively. So Yeah, like opposite ends of the greater Sudbury, but close. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and so I'm excited to, you know, share your story, you know, small town girl um, and what happens when you just chase your dreams. So thank you. So I want to just kind of jump into kind of your Olympic story. I know that you and Eric have just put out a book called Soulmates on Ice. And so for any listeners, that's an amazing read. Go ahead, grab that book. It's, it's beautiful and it just chronicles Megan and Eric's journey. But to hear it just from you, I want to kind of take us back to just over a year ago. You're in Pyeongchang and I know there's probably a million memories you have, but mm-hmm. is there one that stands out? as kind of like this was like a memory that you just keep on having over and over again?
1: Oh, well, I mean, there's many of them. Um, something that stands out because it, it was kind of rare for, for Eric and I was the wave of calm energy we felt before we competed the free skate. Um, we were always extremely nervous, um, and anxious, like anxious and nervous competitors. And, um, so we were also very good at harnessing that nervous energy and delivering clutch performances under pressure. But for what may have been like the first time at a major competition in our life, uh, when I was stepping on the ice for the free skate, I looked at Eric and I was like, I don't know. I feel really relaxed. And he was like, Oh my God, me too. Thank you so much for saying that. Because he was, <laughs> he thought that like maybe he was too relaxed and he was questioning it. And, um, I think that was that wave of calm energy was very settling um in in what would be probably like the most intense moment of my life and I feel like I could appreciate the moment more because I wasn't so anxious and nervous about it and uh and yeah I think that that type of soothing energy that we felt before we even started is just a testament to how prepared we were for the moment and how how confident we were in what we felt we were capable of delivering. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I hear that often people say the preparation is important for you. What did that look like to be not only physically prepared, but mentally as well? I mean, that's key for any athlete and that's
1: what allows you to get into the zone. But, you know, all every day in training for eight years for Eric and I's whole career, every day of training we treated it like it was the olympics when we did our run through of our free skate or our short program we would put so much pressure on ourselves to do a perfect performance in training when it didn't even like it doesn't matter really but we Mm -hmm. would put that type of expectation on ourselves because we wouldn't be happy if we finished and it wasn't our best effort so when we would get to competitions like the olympics or the world championships we could recreate our training atmosphere because we trained with a uh, high pressure and high expectations of ourselves not of anything exterior um mm-hmm. so that allows you to be really prepared for the moment and um for i'd say one month between nationals and olympics we just did clean run-throughs at home every day so we there was nothing to doubt about what we were doing. We felt so ready and so confident and really just focused on ourselves. And that that allows you to to be prepared mentally as well as physically.
0: You know, that's amazing because I often wonder what it's like, you know, when you're preparing for something and you're doing it on your own, it's one thing. Mm -hmm. But when you've got somebody else that is relying on you, you're relying on them, what kind of difference does that make you know in a partnership versus being solo well it's different but then it's not different at the same time
1: because i could not i could never waste my energy worrying and focusing about what eric would do i had to focus on myself um and it was the Mm -hmm. same the same for eric um even the, the the day before the short program the night before the short we were at a practice and it was our our only bad practice at the Olympics. It was really, we were in the practice rink and it was in the basement. Um, it was the evening. We were the only ones that showed up to that practice and Eric just could not do his triple LUT. And I mean, normally in a competition that would have made me really nervous. Like we're competing tomorrow and he can't even rotate it. What the hell is going on? But like, (laughs) I just didn't care. I was like, Oh, he's going to do it Mm -hmm. tomorrow, whatever. Like it was, and I was like, I'll let him work on it, and I'm going to work on things myself. I'm just going to work on my own mm-hmm. stuff, worry about myself. Um, and if I would have given my energy to worrying and stressing about about Eric doing that jump, I would have likely showed up tight and nervous the next day instead of confident in my own ability, and Eric had figured it out by the next day anyways, so it ended up being no issue. So, I mean, a great pair team, they will focus on themselves, but they will have a trust in each other, um, and that that synergy of a team.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you trust yourself, and in in that you know that when you're trusting yourself, you're actually trusting the other person. Absolutely, to deliver as well.
1: This was a really important thing for our throw quad sow, because as much as it's me who has to rotate and land, Eric's job on the takeoff has to be so exact and precise or else I cannot Mm -hmm. land Um, but in the months leading up to the Olympics and throughout the two weeks or ten days that we practiced at the Olympics we did not fall on a single throw quad so I had no doubt that Eric was going to get himself in the right place when he needed to in the free skate Mm -hmm. sometimes if in a practice the throw quad sow was off and it was pulling inside because maybe Eric wasn't in that perfect sweet spot on the takeoff it would make me like question myself even though it maybe wasn't exactly me in that moment Um, but at the Olympics I mean I had such full faith that he was going to get in the right spot because that's what he was doing in training leading up to that so it made me focus on myself a lot more than maybe I had in the past on that element
0: You know, it's, that's amazing to me. You know, when you say, you know, you kind of have to focus yourself, what are things that you put into practice like every day, even to make sure that you're in the zone and that you're ready to be at your best? Well, I mean, visualization is key. And, um,
1: I don't know what else, like how else to word it, but to say like, like pep talks. I mean, Mm -hmm. before we skated at competition, Eric and I would, the same things to each other all the time stay in the moment like when something happens forget about it and move on because we don't want to ever have one mistake become three mistakes um we always like we always had very similar keywords um we would always tell ourselves calmly active but actively calm because we wanted to be calm but we didn't want to be relaxed we still wanted to be calmly aggressive so we would have all these keywords that would allow us to get in the moment and focus that we would use in training. So when we got to competition we would just use the exact same keywords and the exact same phrases that we did every single day. And mm-hmm. I mean that allowed us to become really great competitors because we did what we trained. You absolutely did. If you, if you don't train like a competition, how can you expect to go to a competition and all of a sudden uh, succeed and do things under under these crazy pressures and crazy situations. Mm-hmm. You have to have done it in training. It has to be in your back pocket so you can rely on it when you're the most uncomfortable, which is what happens at a competition.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you been able to like translate that kind of similar energy to other things in your life as well?
1: <laughs> I tried to, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's, it's so unique. And it was like everything with Eric and I skating career in, in the eight years we were together, I mean, we're still together, but not competing, um, was like the perfect storm of everything blending and coming together. And I think that I can take a lot of these things of, um, focusing on one step at a time and resetting after there's any type of error or mistake. I can take all of these to the rest of my life. And I do, but to a certain extent, it's not, it's not exactly the same as, those moments of intense competition—I'll never experience something like that again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some things that you definitely take forward for for life um, experiences and and things like that. But a lot of it will be special to, to Eric and I's skating career only.
0: Mm-hmm. And you you retired right after the Olympics. For, with your amateur career mm-hmm. and you know you guys you said you have mentioned that you're still skating shows and and doing that which i've been like so privileged to actually watch you skate in many shows which is very exciting mm-hmm. i love in fact um one of the more recent shows that i saw was i was in barry and i saw you on the thank you canada tour and i was sitting right on the ice surface and the power that you guys have is unbelievable like it just blew me away i I was in my mind i kept thinking to myself i'm like is it possible that they're actually better than they were even you know (laughs) and you just seem to get better and better does it feel um less pressure doing a show versus a competition Um,
1: definitely. It's a, it's a different pressure. I mean, it's not as intense, of course, Mm. but we still, we still expect our best. And when we're backstage, we're, we still say, okay, like, just take things one at a time and, um, enjoy the moment and, and things like that. But of course, like, if something, if an error was to happen, um, it's not, we're not going to suffer as much from it as we would if it would happen in a competition. Mm. Um I think being able to, we've been really fortunate over the 8 years that we've been skating together to do a lot of shows. We've done a lot of tours and a lot of shows and we've experimented with so much different different types of programs whether it's our own solos or group numbers and that's allowed us to I think grow as performers and I definitely feel in a show setting more comfortable like as a performer or like as like in quotations an artistic skater. Mm-hmm. Than I than I did when I was competing um, because it's a different focus and and I just have a different experience with with growing in in this show world um, and I like I am more relaxed in a in an environment like a show which allows you to get into things differently emotionally or with your energy and stuff like that um, and that that's kind of what's fun about a show too is that we can try different things without worrying about failing Mm -hmm. because we're not going to lose the competition because we chose the wrong style of music or something. Um, And that's, what's fun about doing shows is that we can, we can experiment without any repercussions. Mm
0: -hmm. And, you know, with you and Eric, how have you been able to like kind of navigate that, that partnership over the years? Like, has it, always been easy or have there been moments where it's like okay this is really like this is hard work i mean
1: for the most part i'd say it was like it was generally for the most part of of the last decade quite easy Mm -hmm. for the most part um when we got together it was extremely easy we we both had a goal we both understood what it took to get to that goal. We both had the same mindset of how we wanted to get there with the triple X's and with introducing the quad and with different stuff like that. Um, so like this, it was, it was very easy. Um, there was very few times. I mean, we've never had any sort of blown up argument where we yelled at each other or lost our patience with each other. Um, of course, there's times where you, you begin to get frustrated with different things uh, for, for both of us. I know that when over the years we've learned a lot of different throws, we did throw quad lats, throw triple axle, throw quad sal. And sometimes when those throws wouldn't work, it would be really frustrating for Eric because he's like, well, I'm just throwing the same all the time, but the throw is not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that in those types of situations, it, would, it could become extremely frustrating for him. And sometimes it could become frustrating for me because Eric just doesn't have the same intense energy I do which is what made us successful. I don't think we would have worked if we both had the same intense energy as I did. But some, there was moments where I wished he he had a little bit more like
0: yeah. <laughs> aggression
1: energy in him. <laughs> but that's not
0: his character. Yeah.
1: Um, but I mean, those, those times were few and far between throughout our career. For the most part, we understood that we were trying the best we could. Every day in training, if something didn't work, there was just a general understanding of like, Well, I'm, this is the best I have today. Mm -hmm. And, and also for the most part, um, when an element wasn't working, it was like, okay, what can, what can I do better? And what could Eric do better? There was, there was not a finger pointing of like, this list isn't working because of only you. It's, uh, it's something that two people
0: could correct all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, your whole coaching situation just kind of even makes it even more interesting because you're married to your coach. (laughs) which I find very fascinating and um, when I think about just even just relationships and when most people go to work, they go to work every day and then they come home and they leave work at work. For you, it's different. How have you been able to kind of navigate um, marriage and a relationship with having that person be someone who is consistently in your ear?
1: And for us, it's just normal because it's what we know. Um, for the for the most part, like we have a lot of interests outside of skating, but of course we have a similar interest within the sport of skating and within like a certain vision of skating. Um, but it's it's what we always knew. And between Eric and I and Bruno, it became like a family. You know, like Eric is friends with Bruno too, and he feels close with him as well. Um, and we, we were always just very professional when it came to skating. Like if people didn't know we were married, they would never even guess. Mm -hmm. um, and, and throughout the day, like, even if I was at the rink and I was skating for between two and three hours a day, I would have other training to do that didn't involve Bruno. I had my own trainers, my own therapists, running around here and there and everywhere to, to get different specialists work. Um. So it's not like we were together 24 hours a day. We would be together in the morning. Then in the afternoon, I'd go do my other training. He'd do his other work. And then we'd, we'd meet back at home. Um, but it was never an issue. I mean, everybody was is just always respectful of each other. And I mean, we're all adults. And there's none of Eric or I or Bruno have any sort of temper or explosive temper. So I mean, there's never been any sort of frustration or arguments in in that regard.
0: I love how you, you know, just talk about that in the fact that it is a respect thing and, you know, honoring people and being respectful always makes things even difficult things at times work better. Mm -hmm and you can actually navigate those circumstances so i, I think that's amazing like I, I really applaud that like not only are you doing something amazing with your skating and uh your body and your mind but you're also navigating relationships at the same time which i think is uh-huh. uh, like absolutely amazing so like, I, I really, I do, I applaud that. I think that's really cool. Um, now, I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about um, some of the things that you've been doing post-Olympics. Um, now that you've had a little bit of time to catch your breath, what are your passions and things that you're working on currently?
1: Well, after the Olympics, we were super busy doing shows and seminars for, for about 10 months. I mean, three days after we got home from the Olympics, we were already in Australia doing shows and seminars. And then Japan, and then Canada, and then Korea, and then all summer long, I was kind of running, doing seminars and workshops in various places, and then the Thank You Canada tour, and Stars on Ice China last fall. It's been, it's been a very busy year, still very involved in being on the ice, and, and like somewhat training, even though it's not really the same as training (laughs) for a competition. Um, I skate one hour a day instead of three hours a day, or something like that, but, um, Um, I, time was really busy doing that. And after the Thank You Canada tour and some shows throughout December, in January, I felt like I could finally just like take a deep breath and not, not get ready for another show because we had, we had some time without some shows in January and February. And that was really, really nice to experience. Um, I, I coached a little bit throughout the last year, um, Sometimes helping my husband and sometimes helping out at another rink close to me, um coaching some some pairs and sometimes some singles and off ice classes um what i what I want to do is I want to do my training to be an eccentrics teacher as well as do my yoga training to be a yoga teacher that's upcoming on my radar that I would like to do mm-hmm. um, we We would like to have a family and I did I did some training to be a technical specialist last summer, uh, in skating. So I mean there's there's been a lot of thing a lot of uh, things, but I am looking forward to to doing some training in like the wellness world with eccentrics and with yoga. I finished my my second certification in holistic nutrition this summer. And looking at, at things that are similar to this to skating but more in the wellness area.
0: And how much of a part has that played even in your skating, you know, wellness, yoga, nutrition? Well, I think I I competed until I was 32
1: years old at the highest level of sport, which is amazing by the way. <laughs> Thank you. And I mean for the last 10 years I never suffered an injury. I mean I think that that's just a testament to, to taking care of my body, like mind, body, and soul, like every every aspect. Um, I don't know very many athletes that could go for an entire decade doing throw quads and throw triple axles and all these crazy things without suffering any injury. And I I don't think I would have been able to do that if I wasn't dedicated to taking care of my my, my body through eccentrics and through yoga and taking care of my, my body through what I eat, making sure I'm I recover well and I eat well to take care of myself. Um so you know I, I try to educate younger skaters on the importance of this. But sometimes um, understanding the importance of wellness and taking care of yourself and and what you eat and all these type of things comes later to athletes than it does earlier. Younger athletes just don't don't tend to understand that.
0: Which I didn't understand it when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Why Why do you think that is? Why do you think that, you know, they don't understand the importance of, of taking care mm-hmm. of themselves quite on that level until later on? Well, I
1: can only speak really for myself. But for myself, when I was 17, 18, even younger or older than that, my body wasn't tired. It didn't hurt. So I didn't need to warm up properly. And... I didn't need to eat properly because I was just skating so much. It didn't matter about eating well. Um, I didn't understand the importance of nutrition and the importance of like a proper warm up and maintaining um, like treatments on my body properly until I started getting injuries mm-hmm. until I started getting a little, not older, but a little bit older and, realizing like, Oh, Monday mornings are tough after sitting on my butt for two days and doing nothing. All of a sudden it, like, I shut my body down. And then all of a sudden I'm demanding so much of it on a Monday morning without, without any prep. Um, so through, through my own experience of being injured and being maybe a little bit out of shape, I learned the importance of taking care of myself.
0: You did yoga every day or as many times as you could during the week to kind of as an off ice preparation for some of the things you did
1: yeah I mean in different different times sometimes I did it at night and I would do um like I would just find videos online and I would do recovery classes at night or I would do yoga in the morning as part of my warm-up before I trained um I did hot yoga as part of my training so I mean it became an intense workout without putting too much strain on my body Mm mm-hmm Um, I did Eccentrics, which helped me with my flexibility and my lines and kind of leaning out some of the bulky muscle that I I tend to develop. And um, Eccentrics is is a program that was designed by a ballerina and a physiotherapist. So it is preventative uh, care for your body. There's a lot of exercises that were designed by a physiotherapist. So I feel like doing training like that has allowed me to prevent a
0: lot of injuries from happening now and you want to eventually teach yoga yourself
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: now have you this is out of curiosity but have you ever done aerial yoga
1: um I did it once and it was really
0: fun <laughs> I've done it a couple of times and i um it it literally I've actually fell out of the harness <laughs> so one point which almost prevented me um from doing it again but I actually got back in it and started doing it again which I think to myself I'm like I don't know how I could be um on the ice and falling over and over and over and over again but I guess you must get used to that but um I love doing yoga. Now, one of the things I love about it is just kind of this space that you can get focused and centered. And how has that been? You you mentioned, you know, like it's mind, body and soul as well. So how is that for you? Like, what importance does your soul play into all of this as well?
1: Well, I mean, doing doing any type of training like yoga, it becomes like me time. It's something I can do for myself that feels good. I can make it calm and relaxing, or I can choose to do a yoga class that's more of a workout, like when I, would, when I go to hot yoga. Um, but either way, it's time for myself to take care of myself um, and to be like with, within myself. I don't have to talk to anybody else or something like that. Um, I also worked the last year with a sports psychologist where every Tuesday it was part of my training program that we talked. Through Skype or through Zoom or through something, um, some outlet, we did some hypnotherapy sessions mm-hmm. for visualization and meditative purposes,
0: and, and this
1: was this was part of taking care of myself as well. And a lot of a lot of athletes don't see a, a session where you're sitting down and talking to somebody as training,
0: yeah,
1: uh, because it's not physical training. But it became extremely an extremely important part of my program last year when I decided to, to start doing that and it was it wasn't because I didn't know I I've worked with psychologists before I I understood the type of tools they use it wasn't like I learned something brand new but it was a remi- a, a weekly reminder to me and a week like um, a chance every week to to go through everything that was happening or what I was feeling and this became extremely important hmm
0: i'm very passionate about mind body spirit and so i love hearing that that you know you're taking that time to actually process through the things in your mind because i think that Mm -hmm. it is an outflow you know what we think does actively happen within our bodies as well and Mm -hmm. if we're processing through it on that level then we're able to be physically active at a different level as well so that's amazing In the next part of our conversation, we chat about the difference off-ice mental preparation had on Megan's success, as well as the need for young athletes to work with mental health practitioners before they hit a crisis moment in their training or in their athletic career. And as a coach, this is something I am so passionate about because I know the difference that coaching has made in my own life as well as my clients. So whether you're a student wanting to achieve success in school or you're an entrepreneur looking to grow your business, or you're an artist who is wanting to bring some sort of creative project to life. It's so important to have someone help you identify those problem areas. And it can be the difference between achieving massive success or really being stuck in indecision and overwhelm, which so often leads to anxiety and depression. But when you invest in a great coach, They can help you identify those areas where you feel stuck so that you can make decisions that you feel good about that work for your life and not only that but you'll be able to come up a strategy that will help you move forward in your life now let's go back to my conversation with megan there's a big conversation going on right now about women in sports and how we can come to the forefront and truly be ourselves as athletes and as women what do you think needs to change within the next five to 10 years as it concerns women in sports?
1: I think right now we're seeing a lot of talk about mental health within, within athletes. Not, not just women athletes, but I mean all athletes. Um, and I think these issues are coming up now and it's showing us how important taking care of our mental health is right from the get-go you don't want to wait until you have a problem to work with somebody. Um, that, that's kind of the way I treated my body. I would go and see my athletic therapist and my osteopath and my massage therapist every week, even if I had no problem, because I was trying to avoid a problem from happening. And I think that if athletes worked with, with any type of mental health practitioner, I mean, any range of um, psychologists or coaching in this regard, before a major ex- experience or issue happened to trigger something badly in that regard, um, we could avoid a blow-up from happening by just introducing mental health training for young athletes early on in their career.
0: Mm-hmm. Which I think that that's very important. I've heard a lot um, just recently about athletes coming out talking about anxiety and depression, and there was probably a significant amount of stigma around that, especially being an athlete Mm -hmm. and not wanting people to look at you as weak. But what do you think, Mm -hmm. um, what do you think is changing on that front for, for athletes and for, do you think there's a lot of them that actually struggle with this and don't say anything or what is your take on that?
1: Um, I think there is probably quite a large percentage that, that don't say anything and they just think like, I'm just, I'm going to figure it out or I'll tough it out. Um, Or it depends on the the personality of the athlete, I think. And the the support team that's surrounding an athlete. Um, Sometimes uh, one person in your support team that's not on the same page as you or as everybody else, or one person in your support team that has a little bit more, Negativity about things can trigger something in an athlete. You want to surround yourself with, with people that will support you in every facet, not just on your field of play mm. or in your field of play. You want to surround yourself with people that will be helpful to all other areas of your life. And, and I think that um, when I talk when I talk to young athletes, I never hear one that says that they work with, with any t- sort of mental health uh, mental practitioner like I never talk to young skaters that tell me oh yeah I work with my sports psychologist or I work with my sport my uh mental coach or something like that I never I never hear this from younger athletes and I'm like oh well why not and they are like oh I don't need it right now but it will be a helpful tool to you in the future and I just think that introducing this early on is is very important oh, but it needs to usually come from somebody within your support team to direct you to something like this a young athlete won't know unless they're guided towards it.
0: Right, right. So usually you're saying within some context of a crisis is kind of when it emerges, like, okay, maybe you should see, yes. uh, you know, a mental coach or a success coach or anything like that.
1: Exactly. Okay. Well, I mean, exactly. And I, I mean, I was even an example of that. Um, last season at our our first competition of the season, last September at Autumn Classic. We had an amazing short program and like a nightmare free skate, one of our worst free skates we ever competed. And that night, I, I called my friend who's, who works as um, a mental trainer. She, has, uh, she works in PNL and she's studied psychology, has a master's in psychology. And I, I contacted her and I was like, I need help. So I was an example of one of those that in a crisis was like, oh my gosh, now I need it. Now I need this help, this mental training help. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas maybe that crisis wouldn't have happened if I would have had it
0: earlier. Right. No, that's amazing. Um, I I love that. Now, when you think about, you know, your own role models, people who you've looked up to over your life, whether they've been in skating or um, just other people, who would you say is someone you've looked up to and tried to emulate your life? I mean, there's been so many, it's hard, it's hard to pick one person. I mean,
1: the people I've looked up to have all kind of come from the skating world. Those type of, uh, that's what I was gravitated towards, you know, the Elvis Stoikos and, um, Shen and Hongbo Zhao, the Chinese pair team, Michelle Kwan, Tara Lipinski. Uh, I used to, when I was younger, I used to study, um, these skaters. I used to read their books and I then once The internet became popular i would research everything about them and i was like uh okay michelle kwan said this and that michelle kwan did this Mm -hmm. then i'm gonna do that too like one time i read michelle kwan said if you want to be the best athlete you can be it has to be your full-time job and i was like okay i have to treat skating like my job because that's what michelle kwan did and it made her a champion and and i would read about Elvis stoico and the way that he he mentally approached things and his his courage to always triumphed over adversity and to be himself and he always put such a big emphasis on that more than wanting to win he wanted to be himself and he wasn't going to change who he was um for for the sport and so i was like okay like i, I have to be true to myself just like elvis soiko said mm-hmm. so i i used to i used to do this i used to study all these things and just emulate um the chinese pair team mm-hmm. juay Shen and Bo Shao. i used to watch them on tv and i would I would read books and i would read all their interviews and they were always looking for what next how do i improve okay we're not getting the marks we want how do i get better how do i get those marks so as i reached a higher level i started to to adjust my thinking okay well hungbo and Jue ended up becoming the best because they never stopped wanting to improve they never settled. so i decided that that's how i how i had to be that's the approach i had to have mm-hmm. so You know, I kind of took bits and pieces from from all these great athletes and their stories.
0: And Elvis Stoico, like you said, he is honestly one of the nicest men. Like he (laughs) is he is the loveliest. And there are so many things that he said in interviews. I, I had an opportunity to actually see him on the Strombo show years ago. And be in the audience. Oh, cool! And it was really cool. I remember, like, when he was being interviewed, and I, I literally went home and made sure I PVR'd that interview because it was so profound what he had to share, and it it radically changed even my outlook on my own life. And just talking about adversity and overcoming that. And I know that there was a time when you and Eric had some adversity that you had to overcome kind of with your skating how were you able to do that i mean
1: i don't want to say it was easy to do that but you you build up a collection of tools that you can use over the over the years i built up all of all of these things i could use when i was in a difficult situation um, all these traits or analogies and different things. So um, when, you're, when you're faced with adversity, you can sit back and you can cry or you can get up right away and think, okay, what do we do about this? Um, and, and the whole season before the Olympics was a challenge after a challenge after a challenge. It was, it was like a crazy uh, snowball that just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And all of a sudden we showed up at the World Championships in 2017, went from world champions to seventh place, And like, I went to bed that night and I woke up at whatever, like six or seven in the morning with a game plan already ready Mm. for what we were going to do to to overcome that. I didn't waste any time. I I called Eric that morning and I was like, this is what we're going to do. This is what we need to do. This, 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 this. He gave me his checklist and we were like, okay, we have to start now. I mean, so I didn't, I feel like we just never, we tried to never waste any time. Mm. Um, we didn't go home and pout about it for a month and then, you know, not take any action. It was like creating a game plan right away. How do we get ourselves out of this hole that we've dug ourselves into? And also throughout it all, you have to find a way to to somehow stay positive in situations like that. Yeah. Uh, Because that's what's going to make climbing out of these holes a little bit easier. Um, And, and also in some weird way, when I've been, when myself personally, I've been faced with some of the worst adversities and the worst challenges, it brings me the biggest motivation because I, I just can't wait to turn it around. I can't wait to prove everybody wrong. So instead of getting down, I get motivated so much when when I'm faced with an obstacle. And I've just always been like this. I don't know if it's something that skating has taught me or something that that I've gotten from my parents or it's just ingrained in me. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. That's what I was going to ask was how did that come about? But, and how was it with, you know, your support system? Like, did you always feel supported and that was uh, a catalyst to help you to move you forward? Or was it internal for you?
1: I always, I've always had a really great support system around me, like from my support system within skating to, to my family. Um, But I, it was always very independently me. Like my parents always liked skating with my career. I was kind of guiding them even from a very young age on this journey through skating. So I think a lot of, a lot of that character trait is, is innate. It's in me. I remember from a very young age, um, the last competition of the season would finish and I'd, I'd have a game plan. How, how am I going to get better next year? How am I going to Succeed next time instead of failing, and I always had so much motivation within me, during um, these difficult times. Always a vision of how to improve. Mm-hmm.
0: So you always had something that was kind of percolating in your mind to like, okay, I can take this action and this will change this. Yeah, and I
1: never, I never wanted even when I did, I did singles and I was a teenager, and the Canadian nationals would come. I wouldn't skate well, hardly ever. I, I didn't place well. And then the next day, I would tell my parents, okay, next year I'm going to try a new choreographer. I'm going to try to do this next year. We're going to change this and it's going to be better. So I never wanted to just do the same thing because then I'd find myself in the same place. I had it like it was always what else can I do? What can I change? What can I adapt? Um, ever since I was, I was young, I was thinking like this. And I, I think then the night then the night we won our first our first world title, I think that night we were all Eric and I and Bruno were already like, okay, what are we gonna do next year? What else are we gonna do? How are we gonna be better? Like already. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy how your mind can work like that.
0: Now, I remember watching your Olympic programs and you knew at that point that you were this was your last competitive uh games, mm-hmm. and you knew that in fact it was your last competition completely. How did that? How did then did you like get done and then go? Okay, now what do we do from here? Like, <laughs> there's no more other thing. Like, you know, like what do you do with that mental energy then?
1: You put it to other things. Like, okay, I want to be a technical specialist now. Okay, I I also want to open up a yoga studio one day. Um, I want to have a family. I mean, there's so the the vision and the list goes on even when when my competitive career won't.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: and just going to touch on what you just said, one of the things I did mentally was mm-hmm. that I never thought at the Olympics like this is my last competition. I didn't I didn't give that. My energy, because I knew that 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 could create some tension in me uh, that I didn't want to have in that moment. So I didn't think when I was going on the ice, like, "Oh, this is the last time I'm going to have this. This is the last time this is going to happen." Um, I I chose, I made a deliberate decision not to think like that. And I know that Eric has actually told me that he he did think. Well, we were backstage before the long. Okay, take a deep breath. Remember this. Remember everything about this because I'm never going to live it again. He he did go through those thoughts, and I chose not to because I knew that it would create tension within me uh, if I thought like that, and it would create an an extra pressure that I didn't need. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's knowing yourself. So it's interesting the way we both we both had a little bit of a different approach to that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I admire how you've been able to navigate mentally, physically, all of all of the ways, basically, because I work with entrepreneurs every day, I work with women who are, you know, pursuing their passions, and, and they're often bumping up against these mindset issues. And, you know, coming Mm -hmm. up against these challenges of like, how do I keep going when I get knocked down, and I'm failing, and things are not going the way that I really want them to. And um, what would you say to a young woman who is starting out in her career doesn't matter what it is she wants to to be successful what would you tell her
1: uh oh my gosh many things i mean i would tell them to focus on one step at a time it's really easy to get overwhelmed by the the entire staircase it would have been really easy um after the olympics in sochi for eric and i to only visualize the olympics in pyeongchang we had to we had to take care of each Step along the way. Then give each step 100% of our focus, our attention, and our energy. And then things don't become so overwhelming and they become easier to deal with when when you're taking it step by step and moment by moment. And I think there is something to be said about staying positive and staying happy within a challenge. It makes a challenge and overcoming the challenge a lot more pleasant. And it usually allows you to, to overcome things quicker. And I think that this is super cliche, what I'm going to say, but um, you always hear people in any any aspect of life saying to enjoy the journey. It's not all about the destination. It's about the journey. And you we hear that a lot throughout throughout many things in life. But in my case, I made it to the ultimate destination in my, in my goal, in my life, in my sport, which was to be on the Olympic podium. And when I was on the Olympic podium, all I was thinking about was the journey. It wasn't about being on that podium at that moment. I was remembering and going through everything I went through to get there. So it truly was about the journey. And if the journey hadn't been pleasant, I don't think I would have enjoyed the moment as much. Mm. That's, that's great. And, and I think that even though it's cliche, I I do come from it from such a high experience in that.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice, honestly, for anyone to take mm-hmm. really in their lifetime is you only have the moments that you're making along the way. You'll eventually get somewhere, mm-hmm. but it's the moments along the way that you'll remember. So I, mm-hmm. I want to thank you so much. I mean, I know that there's probably a million more things I could have touched on. Um, and, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time, but I just want to say this. Um, I just think you're just such an amazing human. You are just really, you're an advocate for animals. You're, um, you have rescue dogs and, um, you're just doing some really, really amazing things in the world. And I think, you know, often we, we look at what people are doing and what they've accomplished, which your record is amazing but it's really the person who you are inside and you are a beautiful person Megan so I just want to say that to you
1: Thank you. You're so sweet. That's so nice. Thank
0: you very much. Speaking of, speaking of your dogs, right there. <laughs> on cue. Yeah. On cue. They knew. They're like, <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's my little Korean dog. He just went running. <laughs>
0: uh, so you have two. You have two dogs.
1: Yeah, I have one um, rescue dog, Theo. He's a beagle. And I actually went to the SBCA in Ottawa, just outside of Ottawa, to get him because I was looking specifically for a rescue beagle. Um, and we couldn't find one within Montreal. And then I got my little dog Mute. I brought him back from Korea in 2017. I was in PyeongChang for a test the test event. Mm-hmm. So um, every Olympic venue has to do a test event. So they chose for figure skating for it to be the four continents February 2017 and um, I had contacted an organization that worked with uh, rescuing dogs from dog meat farms because in Korea, they, they farm dogs and they eat the meat. Oh my goodness. Um, this, is, this is believed in their culture to, to make them strong and uh, to, to help men give them strength. And so I decided I was going to bring a dog home from Korea. So I contacted this organization. They gave me a list of dogs that were available that had been rescued and were looking for homes. And I got Mute and I brought him back to Canada with me. He came on the plane
0: that's amazing
1: (laughs) yeah and now he's just so adorable and after um well mute was looking for a home he was living um at a buddhist temple because buddhas don't eat meat they they took in some of the dogs that were looking for homes um and provided them shelter and and some sort of food and stuff so mute was there and i thought I need to get that one because he probably has this amazing spiritual energy <laughs> and you know the the lady who was running the rescue the organization said well the buddha said he just follows them around to meditation and to their yoga and you know he just sits with them and he's well behaved and quiet and i said oh that's that's what i need in my life this dog yeah. um and he turned out to be exactly that i mean he has a really special energy. You
0: know, I, I love dogs. I was just telling you before we started that I just also have a rescue in my family now. And she's five months. She's a lab. And honestly, it I haven't had a dog since I was a child. And the having a dog around and the energy and the light she brings in is something I didn't even know I needed.
1: Unbelievable, eh? Yeah. I feel the exact same way. I didn't grow up with animals at all. Okay. So I don't even know where this love of animals that I have has come from because I didn't grow up with pets. Um, but I, I rescued a dog in in two thousand eight, and I I will just always have rescue animals. I don't think a time will ever come that I don't. Mm-hmm. And they're just so grateful and so loving and so loyal and happy and I just think dogs are these like magical creatures
0: they, they really are I I just I'm seeing mine just right now she's just kind of laying there quiet and nice and I'm like uh, it really <laughs> makes a difference and I've I've noticed even in my own um just with my own anxiety is less and things yeah. are easier and they're like you know there's there are actually times where I joke you know I, I've I, I'm about I love the Enneagram. I don't know if you've ever taken the Enneagram, but um, I'm a one on the Enneagram, which is called the perfectionist. I like to say I'm a perfectionist in recovery because I'm working on that consistently. But um, I find when I take her out, um, she's always doing something crazy and making me look dumb. like
1: at all <laughs> times
0: so it doesn't matter how Do you think she's like testing you I, well it's almost like i go out and i think to myself i'm gonna look good i'm gonna look cool with this cute puppy and then like you know i will be in the elevator because i li- live in a condo and someone will turn to me and go training's going well huh and i'm like yep <laughs> and i think to myself no matter how hard i try i do not look cool with this dog because she makes me look like i am i can't control her or even though you know, at home she's great but it's been really good for me because it's it's been testing me to relax and just chill out mm-hmm. things don't always have to be a certain way and just go with the flow and enjoy life and enjoy people and she enjoys people and it makes me stop and talk to people and so it's it's really quite beautiful yep. so um, and,
1: I mean dogs like they tend they do go with the flow and adapt they're so adaptable and um, able to to adjust on the fly to things and I just feel like it is helpful for us to learn those those facets
0: absolutely well I'm Mm -hmm. so thankful thank you so much for um joining me today I really appreciate that um if you guys are listening go out and buy Megan and Eric's book Soulmates on Ice um and I can't wait till you open your yoga studio. I'm going to come to Montreal and I'm going to take a yoga class with <laughs> <Nice>. you. <laughs> so I'll be waiting. Thank you. I'll be waiting for that, that moment. I don't know
1: when I'm going to do it, but it's on my to-do list. So it will get done because I, I always do everything on my to-do list. Well, this might take a few years. Yeah. Hey, hey that's
0: fine. I got nothing but time. So, so thank you. I appreciate being here.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Friends, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed talking with Megan today. It was an honor and delight to have her on the Courage Cast. Make sure that you go over to Amazon and you purchase her book, Soulmates on Ice, through our affiliate link, which is located in the show notes at thecouragecast.com. And also, you'll be able to find all of her contact information so you can connect with her there. And then next week, we're going to be talking about how to deal with shame in our lives. And is it possible for us to overcome those feelings of shame? And it would mean the world to us if you shared this podcast with your friends. You can do so by reposting it on social media or even screenshot the fact that you are listening to this podcast right now and share it with your friends. And make sure to tag us at the dot courage cast as well. And if you have not already subscribed to the podcast, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcast, please do and leave us a rating and review. It really does help to share this with the people that are in your world. And I really appreciate all of you who have supported the podcast financially by becoming part of our Patreon community. And if you are interested in that, you can find all that information as well over on thecouragecast.com. Friends, we love you so very much. We are so excited to be in Season 4. Until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review, and while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an
1: episode. Original music and production by Stephen Crilly.